Hi everyone, welcome back to another lesson. This lesson is on gigantism and acromegaly. So we're going to talk about what these two conditions are. We're also going to talk about why they happen, some of the pathophysiology behind why they occur. We're also going to talk about the signs and symptoms, how they're diagnosed, and how they're treated. So both of these conditions, gigantism and acromegaly, are medical conditions caused by abnormally high levels of growth hormone. Now, growth hormone is one of the hormones that is released from the anterior pituitary gland. So your anterior pituitary gland is a small sac-like gland that is below the hypothalamus. It receives inputs from the hypothalamus, including some stimulating and inhibiting hormones from the hypothalamus itself. So we're going to talk a bit more about this in the next slide. Now the difference between these two conditions all has to do with the timing of when a person is exposed to high levels of growth hormone. So it all has to do with more specifically when growth plates have fused. So if an individual has been exposed to very, very high levels of growth hormone before their growth plates have fused, so during childhood for instance, this can lead to the condition of gigantism. After fusion has occurred, so once the growth plates have fused and closed, which occurs in adolescence, so individuals who have already passed adolescence and now are into adulthood, if they have been exposed to high levels of growth hormone, this leads to the condition known as acromegaly. So this is how these two conditions differ. Now, some causes of both of these conditions include the following. Pituitary adenomas, so a growth in the pituitary of cells that release too much growth hormone. There can also be carcinoid tumors, so different cancerous tumors in the body in different locations that release growth hormone. So they release very, very high levels of growth hormone. And then there can be some pancreatic islet cell tumors as well. So tumors of pancreatic islet cells that actually produce growth hormone. So these are some of the causes of elevated levels of growth hormone. And then there's some other genetic conditions that are associated with these conditions and are associated with high levels of growth hormone. Some of these con genetic conditions include McCune-Albright syndrome, MEN1 or multiple endocrine neoplasia 1, and neurofibromatosis. So let's talk about the pathophysiology behind gigantism and acromegaly. It all has to do with growth hormone. Now, as we mentioned before, growth hormone is released from the anterior pituitary gland, but it is regulated by hormones from the hypothalamus. One of those is somatostatin. So somatostatin is an inhibiting hormone from the hypothalamus that can inhibit growth hormone. Growth hormone releasing hormone is the main inducer of growth hormone release from the anterior pituitary. So growth hormone releasing hormone or GHRH comes from the hypothalamus and causes the release of growth hormone from the anterior pituitary. So those are two hormones that regulate growth hormone, but there's something else that can regulate growth hormone as well, and that is glucose. So glucose can actually suppress growth hormone. This is going to be important when we look at how these conditions are diagnosed. Now it's important to note that the release of growth hormone from the anterior pituitary is in a pulsatile nature. So there can be multiple pulses of growth hormone throughout the day, and there can be higher levels of growth hormone during sleep or at night when a person is sleeping. Now, growth hormone acts on many different tissues. It can act on the bones. And as we mentioned before, if it acts on bones that have not had their growth plates closed, this can lead to bone growth. So this is why we see gigantism. Growth hormone can also act on the liver to induce the liver to produce 
insulin-like growth factor one. Insulin-like growth factor one, or IGF-1, has many different roles. It can play a role in bone growth, other tissue growth, and also in regulating glucose levels. And then growth hormone itself can also act on other organs and tissues to cause their growth and proliferation. So it can cause the growth of organs, soft tissue, and cartilage. And this is going to be important when we talk about some of the clinical features of these conditions. So let's first talk about gigantism and the clinical features of gigantism. So this is a picture of Robert Wadlow, a more famous case of an individual who has gigantism. And as you can see here, he is at the age of 10 and how much taller he is than a boy of similar age. So again, gigantism occurs in younger age patients before the closure of growth plates. And gigantism itself is actually a very rare condition. We can often see it present in adolescents. And the key clinical feature of gigantism is increased height and stature. And this is due to elongation of long bones. And more specifically with regards to increased height and stature, it is three standard deviations above the average for that patient's age. And then two standard deviations above an adjusted average adult height. So these are some of the numbers you'll see when describing increased height and stature in patients with gigantism. Now let's talk about acromegaly, the clinical features of acromegaly. So again, this occurs in adulthood and it is insidious and occurs over many years. So what I mean by insidious is that the changes that occur with acromegaly are very, very subtle and they occur over very long periods of time and the patient themselves may not even notice those changes. And people around them may not notice those changes either unless they haven't seen them for a long time. What will be noted is an increased size of hands, feet, their face, and you'll also see that there'll be changes in their facial features, and they can also have an increased size of their head. So these changes, again, are very, very subtle and occur over a long period of time. We can also see as their head and skull change, we can see gaps in their teeth occurring. So if you were to look at an old picture and see them smiling, and as time goes on, if you start to see gaps in their teeth, this may be an indication that they have acromegaly. We can also see increased size of hands as well. And the way we can really note this is changes in ring size. So if they had a specific ring size in the past and it has increased or it has had to have increased later on in the future, this may also be another indication that that patient has acromegaly. And then with increased size of feet, this can be noted with increased shoe sizes. And then there can also be this description of a doe-like extremity. So their extremities can be almost like a doe. And this is because of the increased proliferation of soft tissue. So this is the reason why that is. Now, there can also be coarsening of features, which are called acromegalic facies. So coarsening of features, more specifically, we can see changes in the nose and the ears. So enlargement of nose, ears, and even tongue can change as well. And again, these changes are very, very subtle. So the patient themselves are not going to notice this occurring over time. A lot of times, the best way to actually see the changes is to look at an old picture. So if you look at an old picture, say from 10 to 15 years ago, and you look at the patient in the present, you can see there's changes occurring. 
So that is a very key way. We can also see acne occurring with these patients. So patients with acromegaly are more likely to have acne as well. And then as we mentioned before, growth hormone can act on organs to increase the size of those organs. So we can see enlargement of organs. We can see the liver, spleen, and heart enlarging. And these can all cause problems themselves. So with the liver, it's called hepatomegaly. With the spleen, it's called splenomegaly. And with the heart, it's called cardiomegaly. So you can imagine that if the heart is increasing in size, there's going to be some issues. And this can cause heart disease in these patients. So heart disease is relatively common in acromegaly patients. Along with the heart disease, patients can also have hypertension, so high blood pressure, and an increased risk of cancer. So you can imagine that growth hormone is acting to cause proliferation of cells, so that's going to increase the risk of cancer occurring. Some other features of acromegaly include the following. Skin thickening, so that is another sign of acromegaly. Hyperhidrosis, which is increased sweating, so this can also be a sign of acromegaly. Skin tags. Skin tags are actually very common in acromegaly. The vast majority of patients with acromegaly have skin tags. So this is a very interesting finding in patients with acromegaly. There can also be visual field defects. So if they have a pituitary adenoma, so a little benign tumor in their pituitary, it can enlarge and grow and it can actually compress the optic chiasm and cause issues in visual fields. So there can be issues with their peripheral vision. Headaches can also occur and weakness and fatigue can also occur with acromegaly patients. And then there's also another finding that is an interesting finding. This is carpal tunnel syndrome. So carpal tunnel syndrome can also occur in patients with acromegaly. And then they are also prone to osteoarthritis as well. And then with all of this, there's an increased risk of diabetes due to that dysregulation of glucose and glucose metabolism. So how do clinicians diagnose and treat gigantism and acromegaly? So with regards to gigantism, oftentimes it can be a clinical diagnosis. If a patient is two to three standard deviations above the mean for height, this can indicate gigantism, especially in younger aged patients. Insulin-like growth factor one measurements are very key with regards to both of these diagnoses. So you may be tempted to think that measuring growth hormone can lead to a diagnosis because growth hormone is going to be elevated, but that's not the way that this is diagnosed. Growth hormone is pulsatile. It's not stable and consistent. So insulin-like growth factor one measurements are going to be key here with regards to diagnosing both of these, and an insulin-like growth factor one is going to be elevated. Glucose suppression tests can also be performed. So as I mentioned before, glucose inhibits growth hormone. So giving a bolus of glucose should suppress growth hormone levels, but it doesn't in these conditions. And an MRI of the head is also important to assess whether the patient has a pituitary adenoma. So you can see in this image here, that is a pituitary adenoma. So how do clinicians treat these conditions? Surgical excision of the tumor itself, whether that be a pancreatic islet cell tumor or some other tumor can be the treatment for this condition. And then if there has been a tumor that has been excised, it's important to reassess IGF-1 levels 12 weeks after surgery to ensure that the tumor has been removed fully. Somatostatin analogs is also another way of treating this. So as I mentioned before, somatostatin inhibits growth hormone release. 
So some somatostatin analogs include octreotide, and there can also be some dopamine agonists that can be utilized as well. These include gabagolin, and then radiation in some cases can also be used as well. So again, diagnosis, very important to note is measurement of insulin-like growth factor one, which is going to be elevated. That is going to be key to diagnosing both of these. And it's important not to measure growth hormone as it is not a stable measurement. Glucose suppression test is also important as well. And then for treatments, again, as I mentioned before, surgical excision of the tumor, somatostatin analogs, and dopamine agonists can also be used as well. So if you want to learn more about other endocrinology conditions, please check out my endocrinology playlist. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe for more lessons like this one. Thanks so much for watching, and I hope to see you next time.